0: This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Welcome to this hour of the program. It is Afternoons on News Talk 770. My name is Rob Breckenridge. Thank you for being with us here on this Thursday afternoon. Again, our number 403-974-TALK, 974-8255. That's the call-in number. It's the text number. We'll have more time for both your calls and your texts coming up. At the top in this hour, though, another conversation about pipelines. Obviously, we're just coming off the heels of our prime minister giving federal approval to the Trans Mountain uh, expansion project, also the Line 3 replacement project, although there's going to be opposition on both, especially on Trans Mountain. but We've also got, with a new president coming in south of the border, the prospect that Keystone XL is going to happen. Just when it seemed as though that project was dead, rejected by the Obama administration, uh, certainly Donald Trump has indicated that he's supportive as are many of the people he's selecting for his cabinet. So the question, I guess, before us, well, two questions. Will this pipeline happen and should it? There is still a lot of opposition in the United States, but certainly a lot of support in Canada. The federal liberals support this pipeline, uh, although our NDP government uh, is still uh, a little little bit on the fence when it comes to Keystone XL. Joining us uh, in studio here today, we've got with us Cody Battershill. He is the founder of Canada Action, CanadaAction.ca. Good afternoon, Cody. Good afternoon, Rob. And joining us on the line is Jane Kleeb, who is founder and president of Bold Alliance, boldalliance.org. Jane, thank you so much for joining us here. No
1: problem. Good to
0: be on. All right. Well, Jane, well, let's start with you. Uh, Your thoughts on on whether you think now Keystone XL is likely to happen under this new president, first of all, and and why you believe it shouldn't.
1: I think there's still a lot of obstacles in the way of Keystone XL. Um, You know, for one, it does nothing to help America's energy independence there's a lot of legal hoops that TransCanada would really have to get through in the state of Nebraska there's over 100 landowners still that are refusing to give up their land through eminent domain Um, and they're still actually in court with TransCanada over that even though the permit's been rejected there's conflicting laws on our books right now in the state of Nebraska on pipeline routing Um, and then there's obviously the question of of the record on file at the State Department says that this pipeline is not needed and that it is negatively would impact our water supply as well as the environment, wildlife, etc. cetera. Um, so, you know, I think Trump will try to push it. Do I think it eventually will get into the ground? No.
2: All right.
0: Well, Cody, what are your thoughts here on this?
2: Yeah, I, th- I think it's important that we look back at the long review process this pipeline's gone through Five environmental impact statements done by the State Department and the U.S. government that all found no reason not to proceed. Um, Tremendous support from landowners in Montana, South Dakota, and Nebraska, as well as governors, congresspeople, senators, um, mayors, uh, on both sides of the borders. And uh, there's a lot of people that want to see this pipeline go through. Uh, We all want to protect our environment, and we all want to protect our uh, local populations. And really, the question on Keystone is: Do we want to transport oil by rail? Do we want to transport oil by pipeline? Pipeline is uh, much safer, both uh, for individuals, for the environment, and also uh, from a safety standpoint. Uh, also, uh, lower greenhouse gas emissions. And then the other question really boils down to: um, What countries do, does the U.S. want to be importing oil from? The the U.S. imports about. Two million barrels a day of heavy oil, similar to what Keystone would uh, ultimately deliver to the Gulf Coast from com- countries like Ecuador, Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, Mexico, Brazil, and so the question here, really, after years of review and 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 just just an exhaustive uh, process, is. You know, global oil demand is increasing and if you really honestly care about the environment, if you care about global human rights, if you care about Canada's relationship with the United States as each other's uh, best friend, ally, and largest trading partner, you know, the more oil that the United States can source from Canada, the stronger um, North America's economy will be. The U.S. gets about 90 cents on the dollar back in reciprocal trade when they buy oil from Canada. Um, So there's there's just, in my mind, an overwhelming body of evidence, science, and fact to support uh, this pipeline approval, um, studies done on the aquifer, studies done on on the the, the water supply, um, and and again, there's just a, an overwhelming amount of support from. Again, landowners and and politicians um, on all sides of the political spectrum. So I I think it's really important for North America.
0: All right. Well, and Jane, to that that point, the broader point about energy security, Canada as an energy supplier to the United States, how we transport that energy, is is your issue specifically with Keystone or or do you object to pipelines in general? Do you object to, to oil coming from Canada?
1: You know, so both perspective is we don't see any need to continue to put new pipelines in the ground. We certainly think and have talked to the laborers union as well as other political allies in our country about the need to replace existing leaky pipelines that have been in the ground since the even 40s and 50s, um, that we have no laws on the book in the United States that actually requires a pipeline abandonment after a certain amount of time. So there are definitely needs to upgrade the energy infrastructure on that level, but to create and take away land from farmers and ranchers, as well as to infringe upon the sovereign rights of Native of Americans, this is exactly what's happening with the Dakota Access Pipeline right now. We think it's completely unnecessary given the fact that America's oil needs have continued to decline. And if Keystone XL was about American energy independence, it would be an American oil pipeline going to American oil outlets. And it's not. It's a tar sands pipeline. It's foreign oil, has foreign interests, foreign investors, and it's all headed to the export market. And it is something that while Cody says that landowners are supportive of it, I'm the one who's actually traveled to all those states and certainly have a very close relationship with folks in Nebraska. And landowners certainly do not. They were forced to sign paperwork. Um, They were dragged into eminent domain court. It is fundamentally against American values that a foreign corporation can actually use eminent domain for private gain against Americans for projects they don't want on their property. So this pipeline brings up so many issues that are really that Donald Trump and all his Republican allies are going to have a day of reckoning with because the Republican base completely are against eminent domain for private gain.
0: Cody, as you say, though, there there is support in public opinion polls for this. Uh, Certainly the governors in the states uh, that that the pipeline will go through are supportive of this. Uh, Look, with any kind of infrastructure pipeline project, you're going to have to deal with individuals uh, and certainly companies are going to have to talk to people and try to resolve these matters fairly. Do you see anything here that, that should hold up this this pipeline?
2: Uh, Well, it's important to note, I mean, Jane is not speaking for everyone. There's a lot of people that do support this pipeline. Uh, Jane would want you to think that everyone's against it, and that's just not the case. So, again, you know, if you look at the number of landowners directly affected by the route, if you look at the number of pipelines crossing the United States, the number of pipelines crossing even the Ogallala Aquifer in surrounding it's states.
1: Ogallala. So if you're going to talk o- about our Ogallala, supply Jane, water sorry supply, about that. that's Thank the you. lifeblood of it. And there has never been a single study on the Ogallala Aquifer, not in the State Farm Report, not in the DEQ Report. So yeah. essentially know your facts about our water supply before Th- you try to start talking about
2: it. Thanks. Thanks for correcting me, Jane, on the pronunciation of that. Um, so... Yeah, I think if you you look, Jane, though, at the study done at the University of Nebraska, there was a a professor there who did a study who said, you know, the risk to the Ogallala is actually quite low. And if you really look at the big picture here, I think it's really a message of fear that we've really heard from groups like Bold Nebraska, from Sierra Club, from Tides, from all of these big green funders. Um, And we need to get back to a conversation based on fact and balance. And remember... Again, we all want to protect the environment. This pipeline is really a question at the end of the day, rail or pipe, Canada or these other countries. Jane's telling us that we don't need this infrastructure because the world's uh, the US is using less oil when in fact US oil demand's actually increasing, gasoline demand's increasing, and the US is still importing oil from these other countries. So, the big winner of blocking Keystone, Venezuela, Ecuador, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, Um, Brazil. Mm -hmm. And these countries do not have greenhouse gas emissions regulations. They don't have the same standards. They don't share the same values. Uh, Canada actually votes with the uh, the U.S. at the U.N. as much as any other country in the world. These are shared values that our two countries have, sharing the longest undefended border in the world. And we need to really reinforce North American energy security and North American jobs, North American prosperity. And if we care about the environment, it's a net negative to oppose Canadian pipelines. Canada's a global leader in Wind, solar, hydro, uh, emissions regulations. And we have 174 First Nations in this country that are actually producing and supportive of oil and gas development, with many, many more that are open to a conversation. So again, I would just say that, you know, Jane's message is is uh, narrow in scope, and we need to look at the big picture again.
0: Well, and Jane, here's the question. I mean, Canada is, is moving ahead on pricing carbon, uh, something that the U.S. has yet to do. Wouldn't that be a more effective environmental strategy than opposing pipelines, which really doesn't uh, negate the the demand side of the oil equation.
1: So when we oppose Keystone XL, we're not only opposing it because of climate concerns, although that's definitely a factor. You know, Bold got into fighting Keystone XL because my husband's family homesteaded in the Sandhills, and I know the ranchers out there. And Bold was not even an environmental organization when we started. We were a progressive group looking to change the political landscape of our state, bringing in more... Kind of conservatives and moderates and bridging rural and urban parts of our state. And this issue obviously touched a big nerve in our rural communities, because you had a foreign corporation coming in and telling farmers and ranchers what they were going to do on their land uh, for an oil pipeline, a tar sands pipeline that had nothing to do with America's interests. So, you know, you know, Cody tries to say that there's this UNL report that endorses the pipeline. There's only been one report written by the University of Nebraska, and that was done by Dr. Stansberry. And it says that this pipeline not only risks the Ogallala Aquifer, but it risks various rivers, it risks Omaha and Lincoln's water supply, it risks all the different wells that are along the pipeline route. And so I think he's referring to a retired professor who did a TV ad for TransCanada, but that's not the University of Nebraska.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, Jane, again, we have to just kind of step back, I think, and look at the big picture. Um... You know, the choice here—if—if if you care about protecting water, a lot of these rail corridors that are moving oil are are passing over the same water bodies and the same waterways, the same rivers. Um, I just—I I really have uh, trouble understanding where uh, a group like Bold Nebraska, um, you know, often claims to represent everyone, when in reality we need to have that balanced and nuanced perspective. Looking at the context and the perspective of this, there's existing, uh, you know, there's over 10 pipelines, I think there's almost 20 pipelines potentially that cross the Canadian-U.S. border, and there's thousands of miles of pipelines that are currently um, running over top of the aquifer in neighboring states around the aquifer, and, I mean, you look at the existing Keystone pipeline, you um, you know this message of uh, like I mean I guess my question to you would be what would it take for you to support this pipeline and I think based on your your track record and what you've said publicly there's absolutely nothing that that anyone could do to support to get you to support this pipeline, which really isn't a balanced way for us to look at the world. We can't just say no to everything. We've got to look at uh, the pros and the cons, the context, the perspective, and figure out how are we going to move forward. Because, again, if we are talking about emissions regulations, let's talk about that for a second. There's at least six countries that produce oil with higher upstream emissions than the oil sands. And I haven't seen you or any of your other you know friends at the Sierra Club or Tides or the NRDC... Um, I had a good conversation with Anthony Swift from the NRDC and I mean it's this exclusive attack on Canada when Canada is and should be the world's choice supplier, only top supplier of oil to the U.S. with carbon regulations. So if it's really about the environment, we should be having a balanced conversation to say how can we protect and do everything possible but still move forward, still make progress. Canada's second in the world for social progress. You look at these other countries that are replacing Canadian market share into the U.S., they don't even come close. So, you know, again, if we value these things, we need exactly. to have this big picture. Yeah.
0: Well, well, Jane, and to that point, though, I mean, it, it doesn't sound like there's any scenario in which you would support Keystone XL. I, I, maybe maybe, Cody's right. Maybe it doesn't sound like you would support any new pipeline from Canada to the U.S. Is, is there a way that, that you could support these?
1: It's not my responsibility to garner support for a pipeline that's going to risk property rights and risk water supplies. I mean, the same question could be posed to Cody, what's it going to take for you to oppose the pipelines? And so Cody and I will never agree on Keystone XL. He sees it from a completely different perspective than I do. I see it from on the ground, working with farmers and ranchers, having a husband who works in agriculture, who is a cattle rancher, who definitely sees the risks of these types of pipelines. We don't have a single oil or tar sands pipeline that crosses the sandhills in the Ogallala Aquifer the biggest concern of Nebraskans was where this pipeline was going to go. It crosses very porous soil, where the aquifer essentially is right on the surface. There are parts of the aquifer that are very deep below the surface. And then there's parts of the aquifer up in the sandhills, where if you put a pipe in the ground, you essentially can create a watering hole for cattle, which is why there are so many cattle up in the sandhills. And so I think these ridiculous arguments that Cody tries to put on that says that, you know, if we don't get oil from Canada we're somehow then saying that we love Venezuela. It is the most ridiculous argument. What we want to do in the United States is start to transition off of fossil fuels so we can actually have sustainable communities, not only for our kids, but for kids down the road, protect our water supplies, and to create new forms of jobs in the United States.
0: Okay, but the question though, I think here, the point is that that's that's long term. In the short term, in the near term, U.S. No, oil demand now. is going to grow. Well, U.S. oil demand is going no, to grow, US, though, isn't it?
1: U.S. oil is not growing, though. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the point. U.S. oil demand is not growing. And sure, could Cody pull some statistics from an oil-friendly data source? Of course, but oil demand is not growing. Well, Jane, and- I can
2: pull Reuters or Bloomberg, or more- I mean, if you want to pick a source, we can pull it. Demand around the world is growing. We need to replace dema- uh, supplies that are you know, coming off,
1: growing, and, and in the United, United States, States is
2: gasoline not. demand is up, Jane. We are
1: not going to start shouldering the pollution and the carbon impacts of tar sands because you guys want to get your product to the export market. If you want to get tar sands to the export market, go off of your coast. Leave the United States alone.
2: Jane, again, I think you know if you if you look at the big picture here, we, we do have some pipelines that have recently been approved. Uh, the United States Gulf Coast is the largest concentration of heavy oil refining in the world. And there's been numerous studies that have shown that it just is not going to make economic sense to be transporting oil through the United States for export. It's going to be refined, most of it in the Gulf Coast and used in the United States, displacing these other forms of oil. The real question, I guess, I mean, you want to talk about Venezuela. Um, the reality today, not the fantasy and, and, and not the, you know, the the fear here is that, every day the U.S. is importing oil from these other countries. So Canada has shown its leadership on the environmental front, pricing carbon, building wind farms, building solar panels, uh, investing in hydro. We've got one of the highest levels of our electrical grid that comes from no emission sources. And you're talking about supporting environmental initiatives and, and environmental leadership. I just don't understand why we are or continue to... to but our heads against the wall on this issue. Canada is and should be the number one source of oil to the United States. We should be displacing these other countries that have inferior regulations, if any at all.
0: Indeed. Well, we got to leave it there. I know you got to run, uh, Jane. I do appreciate you make some time for us here, and thanks for being a part of this.
1: Yep. Thanks, right, Jane.
0: Uh, there you go. Jane Klee, founder of President uh, of Bold Alliance. Cody, can you stick around for a few minutes here? Yeah, I'd love to, Rob. up. Uh, we'll come back. Uh, we'll finish up this conversation uh, sometime for you to respond as well. Cody Battershill here with us, CanadaAction.ca. We're back with more right after this.